Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I am a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. So this week, I'm going to change tactic. I know I've been doing interviews the past uh, few weeks, and I've talked to everyone from Bauhaus Kevin Haskins to Monster Magnus Dave Windorf and so on. And I've got several that I'm working on right now, but if you follow my blog, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com, and read it regularly, you'll know I've got a segment called Albums Revisited, where I look at albums from my youth that really influenced me, some of my favorite ones over the years, and also I, I like to look at albums by year. I've done the best of 1987, the best of 1991, 1992, and so forth, and I thought instead of doing a blog list, uh, this time I would try it on a podcast format. And I'm going to tackle 30 albums turning 30 this year, so that'll be 1988. Uh, we're going to talk about the best albums from that year, some of the most groundbreaking albums, uh, ones that have definitely stood the test of time, that were very uh, influential on me and, and on other musicians and just on the culture in general. And to do that, I'm going to have a guest uh, with me today. It's my old friend, uh, Chris Logan. I've known him all the way since grade school. He was always one of the guys who was always in the know on current music. He was working at record stores ever since I knew him. And... Always had those release dates handy and just a very, uh, very good tastemaker. Always uh, just a really great uh, frame of reference for music history, especially during the era that we grew up in. Uh, so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to cover our 30 favorites, 15 from me, 15 from him. And uh, to give you an idea of 1988, just before we get started here, it was the end of the Reagan era, right before Judge H.W. Bush took office. So it was a very conservative time. It was a very... Uh, Especially in Texas, it was even more conservative, grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. And because of that, uh, music was a very important outlet, um, something to piss off your parents, something to kind of take you out of your head. And 1988 was full of great albums that were very controversial, groundbreaking, uh, really kind of stretched the limits of what was acceptable at the time. And so we've got a lot of good stuff to cover here, so we're going to get to that. So sit back and enjoy the best albums of 1988, and afterwards I'll be back for you Spotify listeners, and I'll have a playlist of some of the best uh, albums that we've talked about here. And yeah, sit back and enjoy. Well, I think I'm going to kick it off with my favorite album of 1988, and that is The Church Starfish. That is probably the one album that, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one album from 88, only one, it would be really, oh, yeah. really, really hard, but I think it had to be Starfish, because I have so many memories of that album, and I think it was just a, such a cool introduction to that band, because I heard of The Church, and I even, I remember seeing, like, 120 Minutes a long time, like, before, a couple years before that, like, something off Heyday, which, I, but I didn't really quite get into them just yet, and of course, Under the Milky Way right. came out, and it was like, it was the biggest they ever got, and they didn't stay big for that long, but that was such a, such a cool... Oh, sure cool album and it was i guess it's kind of a really weird mix it was very psychedelic and it was very trippy but it was also it had that kind of post-punk thing so it didn't go on for too long it wasn't too out there it was more kind of economical i guess in that way you know if you can... it, it really it really was a super melodic record too i mean and i you know i remember for here did did, did you go were you still living here you still were, were, were living here whenever that record was around, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. I just I switched schools, but yeah, I was I was in Fort Worth all the way up, up to like the early '90s. So yeah, so I was I was definitely still here. So, so the, the church opened. Or I'm sorry, maybe the, I shouldn't say this. Peter Murphy opened up for the church. I'm glad you brought this up. I was going to bring this up too. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered. And 
and and and and I recall this. It was a it was a Q one or two Carlo concert. Mm-hmm. And so you paid. I don't know what it was, ten dollars or whatever it was for the car. Yeah, ten dollars a car. car people to get in to the show. It it had no. There, I don't think there was any restriction. Like, however close you could get, it was a free for all. Yeah, I think it was. I have. I, I I don't remember it being seat assigned at all because no, it wasn't. Think we were fairly close for that show. And I recall Peter Murphy playing Purple Rain. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I did too. I remember that. I remember that exactly. People started going crazy because because he, he went into Bella Lugosi's Dead for like one bar, then he came out of it. And, Everybody's all bummed out. Right. Yes, and 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 then Purple Rain happened, and I think uh, Peter Murphy went longer than he was supposed to, so that that kind of shortened the church set. Regardless. The church put on a wonderful, wonderful show. Yeah, that was like the first time I'd, I'd ever seen him, and uh... yeah, that was the first time. And it, it, I don't want to say it was the only time because I don't remember for sure. I think I saw him again, like a couple years later. But yeah, so yeah, that was a big. Yeah, I remember also with that with that tour. I I've read several things online where like Peter Murphy in the church they definitely did not get along and that <laughs> because of that kind of stuff right. like, they, they were not, that, that, they, made, that makes total sense <laughs> and it's that it's, makes total sense but yet it's it's just one of those albums i think it's like every song is good i mean it's one of those definitely one of those albums where, oh, yeah. where people they focus on like you know on the milky way and then and secondly reptile which was a kind of a minor hit but it's one of those albums where really any song if they had pushed it probably could have been a hit because they were all very catchy had a really cool sound to it and just had that really something about those those oh, the whole the whole record the yeah. whole record is 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 a timeless record if you ask me it really is it, it it captures a lot of if if you didn't know what the church was you caught the best of them right there yeah it was like a perfect introduction it really was and kind of you know yeah, it was, absolutely it was absolutely kind of in between you know, where they were a little more probably psychedelic stuff before that, but then they went really over the, you know, into more experimental stuff after that. But it's a really good in-between point. And the guitar work is just, it's just flawless. I mean, it's just so, the mixing is so great. Totally agree. Totally agree. And it really bums me out the way I talked to Steve Kilby and, and some of these guys in the church that they're not, they don't really, I don't think they really uh, appreciate what fans like about it. They, they kind of, I think he's very dismissive of it. I think maybe he just, you know, wishes that it was more than just one song that got so much, uh, so much of uh, right exposure. Yeah, but it's yeah. just a great well, album. It, yeah, it, it, if they go back and and actually review the actual full album as an as as a, as a whole, yeah, no, that 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 that's a great record. Yeah. And that's it's a great record. And it's got such a great intro and, and exit because it starts off with Destination, which is a very kind of Pink Floyd very kind of oh, yes. dark and menacing and then it yeah. ends, ends with hotel yeah. hotel womb which is one of the most like like uplifting uh-huh. and and kind of trippy yeah. and so it's a really cool cool mix of that so good so good all right so where do you want to talk what album do you want to talk about now you, you just want to start with the first one picks uh 
Surfer Rosa. Yeah, let's let's do Surfer Rosa. That was a that was a huge one, for sure. Yeah, that was. It was a tremendous record. It was it was really the launch, I think, for uh, a lot of what would we we would know as the independent uh, movement in the nineties. Absolutely. I mean, there were, you know, it, it, it's such a, such a linchpin and, you know, how many people have said that the Pixies influenced them were insane. The, I mean, even, even the guys, the, the, the bands that would, that would say that this was, uh, at least the Pixies were such a huge, huge, huge influence on them. And you got to start somewhere. And what what better place than Circle Rosa? You know, definitely one of those albums. It's kind of like the Ramones' first album. Like it may not have sold like millions of copies, but you know, everybody that bought right. it, you know, I mean, Nirvana. There would be no Nirvana without the Pixies. I think that's been pretty well established. That when yeah, even... that's so that kind of tells very you, well documented. Tells you all you need to know right there. Well, that and you know that Circle Rosa was just. You know, 4AD, and it was an import. I remember having to try to find it as an import cassette. There's a band from Boston that I had to find on an import cassette. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, how, <laughs> what kind of ridiculousness is that? You well, know? 4AD wasn't cheap either. No, 4AD was not cheap. That was like a $15 cassette. Fifteen dollar cassette at that point. So and Crazy. you know, yeah. I mean, the EPs ran. Let's see, because I think we ended up finally come on Pilgrim for around. Well, it was around ten. But and, you know, and and that felt okay because it was a pretty. I mean, it was a little bit better than an EP should have been. It was six or seven tracks or something like that, but. But being able to, to, to score the 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 full length album that Surfer Rosa would be, um, which I, I think what's funny is because it was released domestically after Doolittle came out in nineteen eighty nine, I think. It was it was pretty it was a pretty close pretty close release so but the, uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm thinking that it was 1989 there was a reissue on let's see what I'm, I'm trying to think what what label it was Electra kind of kind of is in my crook on it but I don't know if that's right but they picked up the re-release on Surfer Rosa and that was that was that was pretty huge, uh, you know. Even because the the album cover had the uh, the topless uh, Mexican dancer yep. on it. <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> I think they kept that. They didn't blur it out or anything like that. So that was good on them. <laughs> for keeping for keeping the continuity of the art 
that went along with the original 4D. But, I mean, still, I mean, Surfer Rosa, Where's My Mind? Who doesn't know that song now? You know? That's one of the weird things where like a song became a hit so many years after because of, of Fight Club, you know, kind of brought it back. Yeah. It shows you just kind yeah, of how, was, how much staying power that that song has. And Yeah, it, 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 it certainly is one of those one of those songs that you're like, it still has so much life now, even in 2018. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I, I think I've heard it in in a commercial or. Or maybe even another film since. So, you know, it's it's the long standing, the 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 way the Pixies melody still works in 2018 for being a record 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, you could you could ar- you could ar- you could argue it maybe the most influential album on this list, really, at least one of them for sure. That's that- oh. Yeah, easily. I I, I think I, I I would totally agree with that. It, it's it's highly influential, you know, with the the very sublime way that in, it influenced so many other independent artists. And it, it wasn't a complicated record at all, and it wasn't a highly produced record. Uh, no. Yeah. Did did um. Did Steve Albini do that one? I think he did. I think he did produce that one. I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, Steve Albini's very well known for just doing do it once or don't do it at all. At least at that point. It was a very, very much a get it right the first time or move on to the next track. And and so, you know, maybe he's a little bit more lenient now. I don't you know. I, I haven't worked with him. Um, but you know, <laughs> you, you live a little bit of a, a little bit of a stickler. At least. I, I, I've heard that. I, I actually uh, there's there's a a, a a couple guys that I know that did a track with Steve Albini, and it was just as much as what you would think working with Steve Albini would be. I mean, it's no nonsense. It's get to it, get the track finished. I think he might have been okay with maybe a little bit of okay, let's try that again. But there are no overdubs. There's there's no like going back to layer. You don't. It, it's it's anti Eno, kind of like what we were uh-huh. <laughs> thinking exactly. about with Eno. Yeah, yeah. It's anti Eno. It's it, it's not tape loops. It's not it's not the fripism. <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, good old, good old Steve Albini is, is a good, good, um, a good portion of what made that album, I think, successful. Get it right the first time, raw, energetic, super songs. Gosh, Pixie Surfer is a damn good record. And I, damn good record. And speaking of speaking of four AD, I guess we could uh, we could also mention another album that year was big for that label, which is the Cocktail Twins Blue Bell Knoll, which is another oh yeah really good album from that year. Um, it was I it was pretty much I think my my first album I really could kind of appreciate them because I heard you know friends play him like in you know car rides and stuff like that, but that's the first time I really got to hear him 
you know, album all the way through. And it was just such a cool, because I think it came out, I feel like it came out close to summer. If not, it seemed like a very a summer album to me because I remember playing a lot while I was driving. And it just had such a cool sound, like Robin, Robin Guthrie's guitar tone and his guitar style was just such a unique, huge, just such yeah. a, I just, and that with Liz, Liz Fraser's vocals obviously are just like, you know, a, a amazing combination. So, I don't have a whole lot to say about the album as a whole because it kind of you know all bleeds together. But that was a really, I think, a really strong album for that year, and definitely one of my favorites by them, too. Had a really nice. Absolutely, yeah. They were always a, 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 a like a like an anchor to the entire 4D sound because I mean, Pixies were not of this earth on the 4D. Cocteau Twins and and those. Uh, other bands like this mortal coil and, and and what have you that were 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 doing that that you know like the dead can dance and that they were they were that's 4ad sound pixies were not 4ad sound that's what made that one i think a, a really that's a standout for 4ad that's whenever they started to move in a different different strange direction but the Cocteau Twins were the sound of 4AD, hands down, in my opinion. Yeah, like I think that Heaven for Las Vegas is probably it's probably my favorite of of their late sure. '80s albums. But oh, yeah. or I guess it's 19. Is that is that 80? Is it 1989? 1990, 89, something like that. But, but this, I this, was, I thought it was 90, but I mean 89 might be right. But this was definitely a, a really strong one and one that I definitely like to listen to and still has a Absolutely. great great sound to it. And if we're also if we're, we're gonna talk about uh nude women on album covers, I guess we should also mention Jane's Addiction's Nothing Shocking and get that one <laughs> get that one in there too, which was very controversial yeah. at the time for a album of Oh it's super yeah. It was too super controversial. It was like Perry Farrell took his girlfriend made like these like uh uh, cast of her and made t- twins of his girlfriend like images and then set her on fire <laughs> 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 that freaks a lot of people out in the hey you know in what? The 80s. doesn't want to do that right <laughs> i mean come on <laughs> hey hold still let me make a cast of you and then put your hair on <laughs> i'm sure I'm, I'm sure mine would be super thrilled to hear that hey hold still yeah i would i I would get that look of hell (laughs) and that's good for perry though yeah and that's another album just like surfer rosa that was hugely influential on the Uh, on the 90s i mean tremendous tremendous i mean that that that's a record that spawned spawned basically your your I I honestly think that that was the idea that it got Perry thinking about Lollapalooza. What can I do artistically, not just not just musically, but artistically, to um, to push push the envelope? You know, I mean, of course, you know, you have Ritual de la Habitual as as the next record, but I I, I think. I think you're starting with the genesis on uh, nothing shocking, and because I, that's that's such a huge record. 
and you really see a lot of different styles combining there because you know you've kind of got a little bit of goth sound in there but you also have this kind of classic rock classic rock guitar stuff that dave navarro is doing and i kind of feel like that Jay's addiction kind of took like what the cult were doing on love and just ran with it and took it in a weirder direction and heavier and and stranger is basically what yeah with that you know they definitely had that kind of post-punk aesthetic but there was definitely some big arena rock stuff in there too it was a really weird mix of that which i think is what made it so so popular that you know you could be a a goth kid and get into it, or you could be a metal kid and you could appreciate it too. I think it's what made, made them so, so unique in that, in that way. Yeah, it was, it, it was that, that weird record. How do you, how do you really, um, promote this album? Because it's heavy and it's not heavy and then it's melodic, but then it's heavy. And what do we do with this album? I mean, it, it, it's, it came in at the right time because there there was so much, you know, sort of transfusion going on from the metal crowd into what was formerly known as college rock, mm-hmm. and starting to you know and, and starting to um, filter into what we now know as alternative and what we term as alternative now. But it was such a, a, a it was in that weird transitional period. I can only imagine how strange it might have might have been for the guys in Warner Brothers, who I think were the the, the, the main that was a main um, label. Yeah. Where where do we put this record? And they they just happened to hit it in 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 the what was the college rocks, you know, nook of it, and then. Just let, let let it be where it was, you know, because it, it was a super heavy record at times, but it still had so much melodic and dynamic uh, stuff in it that I I'm not even sure how 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 it really worked for them in in an office. Super great that it that it did what it did because I was all over that record, yeah. all over. Yeah, me too. And I, I think one thing that, that they were really smart at, Perry Farrell's very smart at, was it's very provocative. I mean, you have songs about serial killers. You got a song about Ted Bundy. You got a song about, you know, very sexual stuff. You got a song about, you know, very blasphemous stuff. It was, they really cover the gamut oh, yeah. of stuff that a lot of metal artists, you know, push an envelope like that. And I think that was a huge part, you know, the album cover, everything else. They were definitely not afraid to push the button. And in the 80s, so, America, yeah. that was. Yeah easy to do <laughs> to freak people out and they freak people out pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. And, and the eighties were puritanical compared to what it is today. You yeah. Know, with, with, with trying to come up with, you know, some sort of grading system on, on what the kids should and should not hear and, and parents beware, you know, parents beware of the, uh, the James addiction album that's got like, certain you know topless naked you know triplets with their hair on fire <laughs> beware and just the the parafels still i mean you know low flues is not what it is today as it was back then but um i still i still think parafels deserves a lot of um 
don't know, I don't know exactly how to say it, but I, I guess honor on on bringing bringing some sort of geez, I'm I'm not even sure how to how, how, how to actually term it. Well, term it, but um, he was he, you know he was able cross, to crossing the boundaries, crossing the boundaries of what you know high art, low art, and and just melodic metal. <laughs> yeah. You know, put it all together. You know, put really, it all together, and he did it. Really had a way of of picking all the best parts out of different stuff and sticking it together, and then the band, you know, between Dave Navarro and Stephen Perkins on drums and Eric Avery on bass. I mean, the bass on that album, the the bass just like the Pixies. The bass is just as important as any other element on the album. They, those are really bass-driven records, I think, that are. Yeah, Eric Avery is fantastic on that record. He's a standout. Really, really solid. So, where should we head next? Which one do you want to tackle? Well, I kind of like um, to hit on uh, the Sonic Youth Daydream Nation. Yeah, let's do that one. That that one for me is 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 a. Uh, that's a real uh, door opener, honestly, because it was a record that that just opened me up into all the independent. You know, I, it was one of those. It was the last video of a 120 minutes. Uh, you know the, the the Sunday night thing that the MTV used to play. Oh yeah, 120 minutes. You know, and the, then they're going to talk about. You know, we have a new video from Sonic Youth, and it's the very last video. You know, it's 11. I don't know, 50, 45, whatever it is. And the last song is Sonic Youth playing uh, Silver Rocket. A great song, and I never heard. I, I never really heard Sonic Youth that much. You know, I've heard of, but not really. But it was literally one of those days that after I heard Sonic Youth Take Your Nation or, or Sonic Youth Silver Rocket, that I went out the next day and I bought that cassette, and that cassette stayed in my tape deck for probably the next three, six months. <laughs> I might have reversed it out with a handful of things here and there. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, it was my personal uh, doorway into, oh, so there is a whole bunch of other stuff beneath the major label. And and I didn't think of it like that, you know, in that in that type of way. But because I knew about the Husker Dues, and I knew about you know all you know your your Fugazis and and your Minor Threads, I knew about those guys. The, the, they, and and they were great, and I I did really like them. But Sonic Youth for something just really pushed me more towards that sound and still today if if you sound like any of those Sonic Youth 
Dinosaur Jr.'s Jawbox, uh, you know, it, those sounds I gravitate to immediately, and it, it all stems from this. Such a huge record for me. And you're talking about, I mean, their their guitar stuff was so intense, and the way they had like those weird alternate tunings, which is something that became very popular in the '90s. Another thing that they've kind of, you know, predated and and kind of. Uh, uh, you know, I think influenced lots of bands like Soundgarden and stuff like that. They did the alternate tunings, but also you've got another bass player, much like you know Kim Deal. I mean, Kim Gordon was a very influential figure, and there's a lot of strong personalities. Yeah, strong personalities Iconic. in that band that made them really, I think, really exciting for people. And and uh, they never were a huge band. Like a, they weren't. They didn't cross over in the way to like a Nirvana did. But they were. I mean, as far no. as as far as like college rock was concerned, and and they really, you know, I think push that that uh that experimental element that you can make experimental music but still be really catchy and, and accessible i think they did it very well oh yeah and I, I i think the irony is is they had basically said hey i think at you know after they got signed hey i think you had to go check out this other band they're called nirvana <laughs> they're from seattle and they're the ones that that within a sense, and maybe I shouldn't say it exactly, but they're the ones that said, hey, you might want to check out this other guy. <laughs> <laughs> whenever whenever they got signed. I mean, you know, because, I mean, I think whenever I first got them, they were on Enigma Records for uh, Danger Nation. And then... It wasn't. It wasn't so long before they they were picked up by the uh, DGC David Geffen Records imprint. I I'm not sure what the C was. What was the C? I don't know. But um, still, it was it was part of that that same group where um, whoever signed Nirvana they they, they were. They were part in that same office, so you know. Sonic Youth suggested somebody go look at these these guys that were coming out of Seattle called Nirvana, and there you go. The year that punk broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a documentary. I forgot about that documentary. Yeah, and that was yeah, which is a, 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 a still a very very fascinating and, and wonderful, wonderful look at what that little handprint on the world of music was. Yeah, we can definitely talk about that when we do our 1993 edition too, about how for a very, for a very short time, there, the, it was a really interesting time oh, yeah. when, the, when the mainstream got co-opted by the underground. It was a very, very cool, oh, yeah. short but sweet, sweet time. But if oh yeah, if we're gonna that talk. For sure. We're talking about some noisy guitar stuff. I think I've got to mention Ministries, the Land of Rape and Honey next. Uh, that is oh yeah, one of my one of the my favorite albums of the '80s. But I I will tell you when I I was with a friend um, at the high school I went to, and we went to Camelot Music. I think it was in Ridgemar Mall. If I'm if I have that right, <laughs> I'm, I'm if if I'm right, and I saw that, and I bought the cassette. Now, previous to this, all I knew about Ministry was uh, With Sympathy 
which was, you know, of course, the Revenge song, yeah. very synth poppy. And then Every Day is Halloween, which was also very synth poppy, a little darker. And then I think there was a song on that album, the 12 inch single, it's called like The Nature of Love or something like that. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Was, yeah. Know, which was more abrasive, but it was still, you know, very electronic and very, you know, and not, not too heavy. So when Stigmata came on, I looked at my friend and that part where Al Yerkeson goes, ah, <laughs> and I looked at right. I was like, I've never heard anything like this before. What the hell is going on? Is did I get the right cassette? Is this the ministry that I? I, I was so confused because it was so yeah. Stigmata was so demented sounding. It sounded satanic, you know. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? And it blew my is there mind. Another band called Ministry? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I really, I really wondered that. I was really freaked out by it. And I heard that whole album. And I'm like, oh my god, these guys have totally gone in a different direction. And it was, and I, I know. I guess Big Black had predated that album, but I don't know much about Big Black. Speaking about C. Bobini, I've heard about, you know, in recent years, he was right. kind of very yeah. much, you know, kind of combined the whole dance beats and guitars thing. But I did not, I had, this is my first experience with a band that really, they were able to combine, you know, like electronic dance beats and metal guitars. And it was awesome. I mean, that was so, right. so great because you had like that, then you had The Missing and Dee, which almost sounded like one big song, really, because they kind of had the same kind right, of right. riffing. But then you got oh, the, yeah. the weird samples and stuff like Golden Dawn or, or Flashback, which is uses all the samples off of Platoon. You know, listen to Platoon, you can hear these sound bites coming through that will kind of jump at you like a stick out like a sore thumb if you heard this album too many times. But I don't know about you, but I thought that Land of Rape and Honey was, was so just so bizarre and disturbing. And even the album cover was like some image, I think, of like a, a body from... Uh, concentration yeah. camp i think so, so the whole thing was just mired in this kind of dark misery but it was also just so chaotic and uh, yeah, yeah. totally i i i really thought that wait is there another band called ministry <laughs> yeah. i mean, i because I, I you know i was vaguely familiar honestly with with the uh with 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 sympathy and and, and of course i knew the halloween the, you know the Halloween mm-hmm. remix records and 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 a handful of stuff like that. I mean, it was and so so wonderfully synth synthy. You know, yeah. I mean, it was and and then all of a sudden, man, abrasive. I mean, I I I could have put my my face to a cheese grater and 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 been listening to this and and you know, I mean, it was just. I felt I felt bloody and just it was chaotic, violent. And, I mean, I, I I loved it, but I just thought, what what's going on here? Is this? I mean, is this the same band? And yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, great for them. You know, for for being able to do whatever the hell they want to do. You know, I guess you know, but. Yeah, this was this was not this was not your mother's Halloween. No, it was not. And speaking, no, it was not. Speak speaking of mothers, I remember that I had bought this album, and then a while later, I bought the Stigmata twelve uh, inch single, which had that T- "Tonight We Murder" on the B side, which is an awesome B side, very <laughs> twisted, weird song. And my and my mom came in while I was playing that song, and she asked if I was okay. <laughs> she, she, and, they, and they were like really like they were like really freaked out. I was in like getting like Satan or something. They were very very disturbed by that. You're, by you're, that. you're, you're not the only you're not the only one. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 fair, I'm fairly certain whenever 
they heard coming <laughs> out from you know. From, yeah, so yeah, that, I'm, I'm I'm fairly certain that that I had a is everything okay in here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I didn't want to say it's ministry because that may have conveyed a whole bunch of. Oh, so he's listening to what kind of ministry? <laughs> you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to turn those keys. And and that's something too that my mother. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something kind of funny too. I was I, when I first started uh, dating my wife. We we our first date was a ministry concert, and then uh, literally, wow. yeah, literally a week later, we went to see the church. And she's like, "What was all these bands with these religious names?" I'm like, "I didn't even think about that. There were all these bands in the '80s, like the cult, the church, <laughs> ministry, Sisters of Mercy." Leather Nun, they were all these like kind of blasphemous, like but, religious yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 right in that it's right in that sort of. What can we do to? I I, I think it's a standout part back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you just name it after a. Let's see what's what's the one that that infuriates me: the car seat headrest. Oh yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. I hate that. Okay, I'll say this. I cannot stand the band name, but if I listen to the music, I kind of don't turn it. <laughs> but it's, it's I mean, there's it's a deterrent. I, I, I've apologized to my daughter already. I'm sorry. We've already taken all the great band names. Yeah, it's true. It is true. We we, we made we it really have. made it difficult. We we we've, we've made it super hard for the people that you're going to listen to in the future. We made it really hard <laughs> to listen to anything that sounds appealing at all. We got, you know, we got your cures. We have, we, we even went French. We went to Peshma. Yep. Um, you know, we, we have, we have Iron Maidens and we have Slayers. You know, I mean, we, we took them all. I'm sorry. You have to deal with soccer mommy. <laughs> you guys got the short end of the stick. It's you got the short end, so good luck. I mean, you know, if you're going to start a band, you know, uh, maybe maybe you can consult with me. But yeah, I mean, coming up with all those those names that that the bands that we listened to in the '80s, '90s, and whatever, early 2000s, even that borderline that that sort of religious sect, non-religious. Yeah, I mean that's super interesting, actually. I, I, you know, ooh, that's a that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Boy, that's a church of the poison mind right there. There you, there you go. <laughs> that that could be the name of the podcast episode right there. That could be the name that's of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Boy George. <laughs> That'd be perfect. <laughs> Well, you mentioned Slayer. Did you want to talk about South of, South of Heaven at all? Yeah, well, South of Heaven, gosh. You know, I'm about to see Slayer here in a, about a week and a half, two weeks. And, you know, final final tour. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be 100% honest. It, it wasn't super hot on my radar for South of Heaven uh, back whenever it was released. It was one of those records that, that, that I picked up 
probably a few months after it came out. But man, I almost—it's—it's it, it's like one of those one A one B kind of records. It—it's—it's not—it's it, not as super duper important, I think, as Rain of Blood is. But it's really stinking close. I think it's—it's—it still keeps within the mindset of what was going on, and you know, the the continuation of artistically what they were doing. Uh, it, you know, I can't say anything bad about the record, and I can't say anything totally that sells me on the record as much as I would on um, uh, Rain and Blood, but it, it's consistency within that, that album that, that just keeps keeps you feeding at the trough. And I think, you know, if we're going to talk about, about metal. I mean, I think probably if you had to pick one metal album, just as far as from a sales point and uh, just a commercial stamp and also just a cultural thing, I think Injustice for All is probably the metal album that defined 1988 just as far as on a, on a yeah. worldwide scale. Yeah, easily. But, easily does. But it's a weird album in retrospect because it's it really is an album where there is no bass. There's no bass, <laughs> right? They really hero, yeah. They really they really uh, hazed uh, yeah. Jason Newstead, and, and it's it's a it's it's, it's it's odd to listen to it now. I think. Oh, he's he's new, but he's not heard. <laughs> no, and yeah, I, and yeah. I, I mean, for when I, you know, we saw the document, you know, I saw the documentary, I read so much. I think they were just, were really just torn up about losing Cliff Burton and didn't know what to do, but it was still, it was a dick move <laughs> to do that to Jason Newstead. But even still, it's still a really, really good album. I don't think it's as good as Master, Master of Puppets because it doesn't have that bass element, but there's some really strong stuff. I think just Black yeah. is such a great intro. Talk about a great intro to a, to an album. So. Harvester just, of Sorrow really gets me. Yeah. I, I, I really dig that one. But yeah, you're right. The lack of that bass sound. Uh, come on, guys. That's really odd. Don't be jerks. <laughs> yeah. Don't be jerks. But they, I mean, is that, that? I don't know whose decision that was, but come on. But, but I think too, you listen to the album though. It's really definitely one that you know. After this album, they never went this far. You know. This was their most complicated thing they ever put together. There was the most ambitious stuff. You've got, you know, like, um, I the Beholder, or uh, not, is it I Beholder? I mean, yeah. You got that. You've got, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, to Live Is to Die. Um, yeah. And then Dyer's Eve, which is just an crazy, amazing ending Ooh. track about, you know, about James Hetfield being raised by a Christian scientist family and all the confusion right. he felt and all of that. But it's, it was so, it's so, uh, intense and so, uh, athletic you know and i know Lars Ulrich gets a lot of shit for being a, a bad drummer which i never quite understood that 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 criticism because it, on this album he sounds amazing i think um yeah but it's almost yeah. like this one after this they were like okay we're done with this we're gonna go make butt rock now and they never <laughs> they never did anything like this yeah i mean nothing was ambitious enough after that album and, I, wonder, and I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of that had to do with the producing credits. You know, Bob Rock kind of took it down to a very, very domestic level for them. 
and not not their hierarchy of let's trample the world with our our artistic selves. You know, they 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 took it down to a different. I mean, you know, and I guess you know it it was they they were a extremely popular band with that next album, the self-titled or black album, whatever you want to call it. But you know. I think artistically they they went down a notch. Yeah, they did. after Injustice. You know, I mean it 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 paid the bills for them better. It certainly made them more popular, but it it kind oh, of sure. it kind of took away that yeah. e- that edge that I think made them so such a standout uh, for metal at that time. Yeah, I mean, if 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 anything, I mean they they took you know, and I'll be honest, I I don't I don't want to. I don't want to complain about the Black Album too much because if you bring people into the community of metal for being even safe metal, it's still metal. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still heavy, you know. And from there, you know, maybe that's your gateway drug, you know. But you know, if you're going to get into the safe part of Metallica, maybe that's going to put you into, hey, what else is out there that's going to be uh, fun and exciting and faster? Because then maybe it's Slayer. And then maybe after that, maybe it's Napalm Death. And then maybe it's Obituary and, 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 and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Metallica's transition after Injustice, that's that's on them. And good for them. And Sell I, out your tours. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at, at your, your selection on this list, and one, we're hitting a lot of the, of the major albums of this year, but there's also there's a lot of quirky kind of uh, under-the-radar stuff that came out in 1988, and you listed The Godfather's Birth School Work Death, and so I think we should talk about oh. that, that one a little bit, because that was a fun album. So what are your thoughts about I, think about that one? I, I love that record. That, to me, was a like a Rolling Stones gone psychedelia kind of record. It was such a huge college rock. Kind of, I, I, I saw them at um, University of North Texas, which is what the, what it was. Now it's North Texas University or something like that. But um, I saw them up in Denton, and it was I I just love the sort of disconnected disconnected um, lyrical part of them. Mm-hmm. Very uh, yeah, great great lyrics. You know. I mean, the lyrics were fantastic. I thought, and it really stands out when, when whenever. I mean, it's it's not hard to miss because it's not like they're buried within a mix or anything like that. Um, musically, it is just it's just a great rock and roll record, uh, and 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 with with what what they're singing about, just you know. You know, it, it, it's it's just super basic rock stuff. You know, 
Satan and so your love is lost, you know, that, you know, that kind of, that kind of mentality. It's, to me, it, it, it seemed like Rolling Stone's psychedelia. Well, they had that, was that great line in the title track? I get cut, but I don't bleed because I don't get what I need. I mean, that's such, that's such a great line. That's such an awesome, like, punk rock, you know, nihil- oh, yeah. nihilistic. Yeah. And and what a what a great yeah. and what a great song title birth school work death I mean that's <laughs> that's just I mean that's genius really it's that's, that's it really is it really is yeah but, I I I love that record I loved it to death and it was super sad now that I didn't buy a shirt at that show because they they uh they had that great sort of the the four panels that had a birth school work death mm-hmm. on it from whatever with the great uh godfather's logo across the top and they had super sad that i didn't get that but it was it was a short show <laughs> i mean you know you have a record to tour with you have 12 songs but good for them <laughs> yeah. i was happy to pay for it they were just a fun band because you had like uh they had that uh because I said so was another single off there. Then there's that one kind oh, of yeah kind of the acid tripping with the when am I coming down or something like that. I think is what it was. It was real coming down was yeah that's a, yeah that's, that's that a, was a uh, yeah a a real a real good trip right there. And there was another kind of under under the radar album that year that i i liked a whole lot and that was feels of the nephilim the nephilim which is not much of a creative album title there but i thought oh yeah i thought those guys were a really cool they're a really weird goth band because they had this like spaghetti western image they had this dusty like they put dust over their clothes and they 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 (laughs) they almost had like metal vocals too you know it was it was it was on the kind of of like a cookie monster uh, uh, predecessor to those kind of vocals yeah and i really you know i really dug those guys because they had a lot of horror input they had a lot of alistair crowley stuff like a moonchild or they a lot of uh uh, hp lovecraft stuff on last exit for the lost and all that that was a really cool album i thought it was it didn't get played a whole lot it was more like a college radio thing but i thought they were one of the cooler goth bands that never really you don't they don't get spoken about in the same circles as like Bauhaus, Sister and Mercy, or uh, groups like that. But I thought that was a pretty cool, a pretty cool album that, that I dug at least. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I I remember liking them. I and I think I remember a story where where they got pulled over in or not or, or, or denied customs in Canada because uh, you know what they use on 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 their on their outfits on stage was flour. They thought it was cocaine. <laughs> and they thought it was cocaine. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, you know, oh, so, that's, that's great. I mean, but they, they had, they had such, such a great, a great sound. I, I, I remember really liking, liking what I heard from them. I, it was, they were one of those bands. It was really hard to find that stuff i i think that was part of that rough trade mm-hmm. um stuff back back in the late 80s early 90s stuff and i'm not sure if they ever moved on to a 
a major label or not. I I, I don't recall. Yeah, I, don't, I don't recall if I don't recall if it moved over. I think a lot of those bands that kind of you know because that was right at the you know it was not too long before grunge hit and that, that whole kind of style of music really went out of fashion. So you know because there's two other albums from that year that that are kind of the similar vein. You got the Mission with Children, which is a, yeah. A, I think it's one of their, probably one of their best albums, and it's produced by John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin. And they, he, yes, I think they were kind of riding that wave of like the cult and and you know, another goth band who had kind of gone a little hard rock. So it was a much more hard rock, but still very kind of over the top and super ornamental and very obviously Led Zeppelin influence is strong on that album. But I thought that was some pretty yeah. some pretty cool stuff. I think Wayne Hussey is a pretty awesome guitar player with the twin with the twelve strings and you knows everything. That was a pretty good. I think a pretty solid record that uh, might have. Yeah, I remember picking up um, uh, some of those Mission records for sure because, yeah, that was that was really dynamic. Wow. That was great stuff. Great stuff to hear. It was epic, almost. T- it was cinematic, honestly. Yeah, epic. It's, it, it, it's what it got down to. That's the perfect description. Very, very cinematic. It was like, yeah, very, uh, yeah, super like grandiose, and but they they pulled it off. I, I like how they had our strength was. It sounded like it should have been like the opening of a uh, of like a like another Hobbit film, you know? Yeah, I mean it was huge, and, huge. And then they had that intro, that Heaven on Earth song, which kept the same beat. So basically, like a twenty-minute song, <laughs> those two songs that kept that same little drum line throughout the both. Right. Those, which yeah. Is, which is kind of cool. That was that was pretty creative. Yeah. And great stuff from those guys for sure. Totally. And then we also, I see you, you listed on. Uh, you mentioned uh, Smithereens, but I think we probably should be good to talk since Pat Denizio passed away not too long ago. Um, Green Thoughts. So. What are your thoughts on Green Thoughts? Well, I really loved that record. That was a uh, that was I mean just just a straight up great rock and roll you know rock and roll record, and that was a, the first tour that I ever saw them on. But yeah, I, I was gonna, you know I was just going to say that it was just such a such a standout show. Trevor Rabin from Yes. Um, at the time, was at that show. <laughs> really? And yeah, it, it was just random. Gosh, this, you know, this it was 1989. Whenever I saw this show, and um, Trevor Raven was just randomly there for whatever reason. Uh, see, I'm trying to remember what the guitar player's name, Pat Pat or something like that. He had he had just a uh, you know, like a cool moment where he just walked all through the club playing a solo. Bum, 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 you know. <laughs> and it, it it was just it was just a cool moment and what a great record. I mean, just simple rock and roll. I mean it's it it wasn't anything you know, complicated. You know, Green Thoughts was just was was just another solid record from those guys, and and you know, I don't know what else to say about it. Only a memory was a fantastic song. Was a truly great. What a what a. You know, drowning my own tears, you know, great stuff. Is that the, it was just 
it was just simple rock and roll show, but that's you know that's what made those guys, you know. No, is that the same album with the, with a girl like you? Is that where that is that where that song is from, or is that the? the... Uh, I I think that's that's the next album. Next, okay. Um, Eleven. Okay. Where uh, girl like you was from? All right, I'll I'll edit this part out then. <laughs> I, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that it was girl like yeah yeah it was it was eleven. Okay. Eleven. Yeah, you know, and I saw them in, you know, for that tour. But it was a, it, it, at a bigger venue. It was at the, uh, well, locally here, it was the Bronco Bowl. Well, yeah, because uh, also, and you've got Ziggy Marley, uh, Conscious Party on here, which I think we should throw those two together because something, mm. a show that I never saw, but a lot of my friends that you probably saw that I didn't get to go, which I was bummed out, was was it called? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, what was it called? It was In Excess. It was Guns N' Roses. It was Iggy Pop. Only Tour. Yeah, yeah, Iggy Pop, which I'll get to in a second. Um, Smithereens, Ziggy Marley. Am I missing anybody? Or is that everybody? I think that's it. Uh, let's see. NXS, Guns N' Roses, Ziggy Pop, Ziggy Marley. I think, that, I think that's it. Smithereens. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of like a, a, yeah. pre, a precursor to Lollapalooza, really getting a bunch of kind of different acts, but in the kind of a you know, they kind of have the same aesthetic or, or at least, a, at least a, you know, the same fan yeah. base. And I, I think it was a unique tour for a year. I, I, I don't think this was something that was happening all around the country. Yeah. I was in, I was in California and received a phone call from a friend of mine, Steve Thompson. Probably <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> he was like, Hey man, he was like, Hey, uh, NXS is going to be at Texas Stadium, blah, 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 whatever. Tickets go on sale this weekend. I was like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm out here in California until XYZ. Do you have, you know, do you have the cash or whatever to go pick me up a ticket and I'll pay you back? No big deal. And worked out. So he ended up buying my ticket and yeah, what a crazy tour. I mean, that that tour wasn't happening in Los Angeles where I was at at the time. Yeah. Nothing like that was being promoted. Where you would expect it there to, was, to be. There was an NXS. Yeah, I, there was an NXS show being promoted later on for the Calling All Nations tour as they were promoting it at here, but it was not there with these artists. And so that was a pretty unique event, if you know. I thought it was at least so. And I, I, I did like the Ziggy Marley album quite a bit. Conscious Party. I thought that was that was one of the, I guess, one of the first reggae albums I really kind of got into. Um, what did you like about that album? What are your? Thoughts? Oh yeah, yeah. That was a that was. A, I mean, that was such a fun record. A fun. Well, <laughs> maybe I should. I mean, because it's supposed to be a thought-provoking record, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's called Conscious Party for a reason. But it it it, it has all the elements of his, his, his dad's reggae <laughs> yeah, with no. pop sensibilities to it, you know? And it... It does have it. It does have its its entire 
thought-provoking parts as well as uh, as well as it has having a good time stuff. You know, I mean that's that's Red Gang in and of itself. If you ask me, hey, let's have a good time, but hey, let's look out for our brothers and sisters here in, you know, in the world. So that was that, it was just a good, it was a good album. It was a good album. We had a lot of fun with that record, you know, and it, it, it was a, certainly a different time where where we thought in in a in, in a worldwide level, you know, and it's it's I think it's a harder to do now than it seemed to be back then for whatever reason. I, I, at least maybe that's just me being like crotchety old, fifty-something year old guy. <laughs> well, well, it's well, it's weird too because you know we're more interconnected now than ever, but seems like coming up with those kind of simple but but uh effective social messaging is is you know not you don't hear right. you don't hear much in, in music anymore it's, music is not politically conscious yeah. to that degree much anymore it's out there but not not it's it's more pop has kind of overtaken that it's not really a, a substance right. issue right now no but, one's putting together a, a a a entire show just to help out Saving the kids that are part of, you know, being taken from, taken from that. What's the, uh, what's that? Hakubande uh, uh, or whatever it is that that that. You know, the girls that were taken from that that group. Yeah, I mean, nobody's. Nobody's putting out those those social consciousness these days is is a lot different from what it was thirty years ago. You know, there's yeah, it used to be to be an album. album now I mean, it's a hashtag. Yeah, and, and and now it's you know it's hashtag against ISIS or something like that. And you know, it putting together a a a conscious effort against a group is is just a social media thing. It's not let's get together as a bunch of artists that are against um a volcano in Hawaii. You know, uh, you know, or, or whatever made up made up thing. Uh, you know, it's 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 different now. Than it would be then, and it's so it's so difficult to to be part of a movement that is such so huge now. And I I wasn't really going to touch this album, but I think now that you mentioned that, I think it, maybe I, sh- I should. Um, you talk about social consciousness, and you think about an album like Vivid by Living Color, which was very oh, yeah. very groundbreaking for 1988 even though you know even Huge. even though rock and roll was founded by black musicians the idea of a black hard rock band for some reason seemed very controversial to some people i don't know why i guess well unfortunately i do know why with some people but um it was a really strong album nick jagger if i recall produced a couple of tracks off of it i think but you really got to see right. got to see 
uh, Vernon Reed's kind of mad genius as a guitar player um, was so just, you know, leagues around so many other musicians as far as his technical uh, expertise. And also you've got Corey Glover, who's a great vocalist. And you've got, you know, songs like, uh, what's that song about a letter to a landlord? You know, stuff like that. Or um, even, oh, yeah. even Cult of Personality, yeah. which is very much, you know, uh, a, a song that still holds a lot of weight today with political things going on. I think those guys are really good. And even though they were that album sold well, I, I think Living Color is still pretty underrated um, just because I guess, you know, they just are, aren't seen as agree kind of kind of outside the circle just because they don't fit into any neat little niche, you know, as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Absolutely agree on all levels of that. That that's, that that's a very important record for, for rock and, and, and hard rock itself um, for the, really the black community too, because, you know, not not everybody plays, you know, the, you know, like a a drum machine or anything like that to put out their their, their music. That was that was a, a a tremendous a tremendous record. It it it's it still stands as a as a uh, as a beacon, I think, to. The young people, black, white, Hispanic, uh, you know, whoever it is, put out records like this. They're they're thought provoking. They are um, heavy, not just in in sound but in content. I mean, the, the, there's there's a lot of great stuff going on with Vivid a lot of great stuff going on with that record. And, you know, I, that, that record doesn't know any kind of boundary whatsoever. And it's, it, as soon as you hear it, you know how much Vernon Reed is such a great guitarist. Amazing guitar player. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, Vernon Reed is in unimaginably, crazy on that record. Corey Glover's vocals are insane. Just, I mean, everybody on that, you know, let's see, uh, Buzz and Will, I believe, are, Buzz is the bass player and Will is the drummer. Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, those guys are amazing, amazing rhythm section. Amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, everyone should look, you know, if, if you're starting a band, that's a, that's a good template to go with. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with that at all. No. Nothing. And Great I'm, record. And I'm gonna, Hands down. And I'm going to toss the ball back in your court in a second, but before I forget, just because we're talking about the, the, uh, the, uh, the concert with NXS and Iggy Pop and all those guys, Iggy Pop put out an album 1988, which I would not call groundbreaking or, or socially conscious or anything like that, but I still enjoyed it very much. It's called Instinct. It was, <laughs> it, it was, it was a big about face to, uh, to their, his previous album, which was blah, blah, blah. It was a very pop. Blah, blah, blah. Very, very, right? very, very new wave. Very, you know, he kind of followed in Bowie's, uh, 
coattails through like the you know the new wave period but instinct i, I kind of feel like instinct was like a reaction or, or kind of getting the vibe from like the cult and guns are roses so that you know it's cool to be hard rock again he can kind of get back into his stooges roots a little bit and it's a super catchy album it's got steve jones from the sex Pistols playing guitar who does some really great riffs and i know it's not his one of his best reviewed albums and it's not really one that i think that people are going to say if you have to hear one iggy pop album this instinct would not be, would, would not be it but i still love it very much <laughs> i think it's really fun it's got a lot of great riffs good vocals the title track is amazing that is a fun record cold metal's a blast Squarehead. i mean oh cold metal yeah, yeah i mean i mean it's you know <laughs> you better save a tree i mean it's you know come on it's it's <laughs> it's, it's awesome so i can't I don't have a whole lot to say about it because it's a short and sweet album with some really, you know, kind of hair, hair brain lyrics, but I, I love it. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Instinct. And now do you want to talk about um, Rattle and Hum. Oh, yeah. So Rattle or, and Hum. Or if you, have, was, if you have anything, was, to, if you have anything well, to say about Iggy Pop add on, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. I was going to say, yeah, that, that, was, that was fun stuff out of Iggy Pop. I mean, that was coming off of and, and, and if you think about where he was headed to next with Brick, brick by Brick yeah which is another big change which was another tremendous change in, in on his part but yeah no that that was fun fun ridiculous Iggy Pop exactly within yeah within a sense brick by, you know Brick by Brick was much more kind of adult and, and more multi-dimensional and, and Instinct was not Brick by Brick was his <laughs> AOR record T- totally <laughs> totally you know and, and, and you know I, I, believe me I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put Iggy on on any kind of like warning or any you know warning or anything like that but you know hey you know what Iggy's gonna do what Iggy does and and if he feels it go for it and I have no issue with with where, where he goes the 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 guys the guys a lot of fun to begin with so absolutely you know now going with um, rattle at home real quick you know it it, it came right off of those um, the those those big Joshua Tree nineteen eighty seven or not well yeah it was nineteen eighty seven whenever those tours were happening and um, the the film and and the the soundtrack to the film came out, and I just recently saw you two, and in, in in Nashville, and it was really cool to to kind of I, I stopped in and in, in Memphis, and I was at Sun Studio for just a a, a, a brief moment, where they recorded a couple of tracks up around home and and. It was it was a super cool moment. I mean, not just for that. There there was there's so much great history going on there. But that's a great it's a great I really, great place to visit. I, yeah, I mean it it was it was like going to a mecca, almost. Totally. You know, I mean, you know, so many of the great great American artists, period, had recorded there. You know, Cash. Um. I mean, Elvis. Uh, I mean, 
I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis. Name it. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm just so I get so um, really just starstruck by it. You know, Cash and Lewis and Carl Perkins. I mean, hey, you know what? Def Leppard recorded there. Come on. I mean, it's stupid. It's stupid. Uh, Like, how many people have recorded there? You could almost just, like, throw throw a dart and try to find somebody that hasn't recorded there. It's that ridiculous. And it's such a small little studio. If you visit, it's it's tiny. I mean, I was struck by how small yeah. it was when I visited. It's just it's not very big, but man, they they know how to capture that sound. Doing something yeah. right, and 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 it's really really insane. It really is. And so you know, we, you know, we we were on our way to go see you two in Nashville and stopped off at some studio, and it just so happened that they recorded a couple tracks off of Rattling Home there. Um. And 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 that was that was a super cool experience. Uh, Rowland Home is, you know, it it's just one of those like post post big album records, I think. And I do think it has some stuff that's really strong on it, like Hawk Moon's six eight seven six nine seven. I don't remember exactly what yeah, it's called. That's, that's... got a part two. God of Part Two is really strong off that record. Van Diemen's um, Land. But, yeah, Van Diemen's Land. The 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 originals on there are are are, are fairly good. Um, um, the the live stuff you can certainly go with as well. But um, yeah, that's after being at Sun Studio. This this within the last couple of weeks and, and, uh, kind of getting that feel. Yeah. You know, Rattle Home, it is certainly a, um, type of record that is for the collectors, you know, it's, it, it's not a run out and get it if you're just becoming a YouTube fan, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it certainly is, a uh, man, that's got some good stuff. <laughs> Say that. Did you happen to see that documentary about Jimmy I- Iovine and, and Dr. Dre that was on HBO? You know what? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I forget that. I, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't catch that. I forget the name of it. I gotta think of the name of it. all but it, but it was really entertaining. It was basically they're just talking about making an interscope and and their career and Jimmy. I mean, was talking, you know, about Rattle and Hum and, and Bono basically said that Rattle and Hum was the album that basically forced Jimmy Ivey to quit doing being a producer because he, because oh, he, because really? he lost his mind. Because <laughs> I believe they said, that, I believe they said we broke him. I think that's exactly what he said. I think they, they said they just wore him out because they were like, because they're trying so hard to top the Joshua Tree and they kind of got a little over their heads and everything. So it was apparently. Uh, were, yeah. And, and that, you know what? I, I think that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to equal it, but too much pressure. You no, know, yeah, I mean, you know, that the there's there's too much going on there. Too much going on. You're 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 balancing it between live tracks and new studio tracks, and that is yeah, yeah, you, you're not going to. 
you're not going to do that. And then another thing too, I, I it's kind of off topic, but do you ever watch the show The Americans at all? Did you happen to see the season finale or series? No, finale? no, I didn't. I didn't. All right. Why? Well, I, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but if any YouTube fans listening to it, they play with or without you in the final episode. And it's one of the best uses I've ever seen in a TV show of, of a, of an older song. It's brilliant. Really? How the, how the, it was really emotional and striking. Uh, and I've watched it three times since just to watch that whole montage because it was, it was genius. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. So if you ever get to watch that show and you got, it's, it's a lot to get these probably like four or five seasons you had to watch, but it's so worth it. It's a great show. But anyways, just the, wow. the, the use you two to, to masterful effects in that final episode. So, Using with or without you correctly yes. is fine. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to use that correctly. And they did it. It was it was perfect. Wow, wow. Going from you, fair enough. And then we've also got Susie and the Banshees with Peep Show. That was another big album from nineteen eighty eight, or at least on a smaller album as far as uh, a grand scheme of things. But it was definitely yeah, one hundred twenty minutes was all over uh, Peekaboo. For sure, and it, oh yeah, and I, I I'm sure a lot of hardcore fans maybe wouldn't like it as much as say the older stuff because it wasn't quite as uh, as uh, edgy or, but it's got a really good sound to it. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, there's a lot of great sound to it. It's very diverse. There's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, I mean, particularly I think I think it's Budgie is it kind of owns the album because his drums all throughout are very kind of eclectic and weird and there's a lot of cool stuff going on um uh, i know the guitarist on the album was i forget his name he 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 wasn't it wasn't john mcgeoch or me i can't pronounce his name right um m-g-e-o-c-h <laughs> i'll just say it like that and then they had another guitarist before that who i'm forgetting um and of course you know they had robert smith for a while so they've gone through several guitarists but it was just a really cool album but i really like the song the killing jar it was really cool ornaments of gold was really good and uh, Last Beat of My Heart is probably the best one out there. That's a really good ballad. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic song. That's just so powerful. Yeah. And, and just, it, it, you talk about epic. That's as big and grandiose and as cinematic as, as, they could, as they could get. They really pulled that off, I thought, very well on that, on that, on that record for sure. No, that's a fantastic album. It really is. It, 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 it's a super album. It... I mean, for for Susie, kind of, I, to me, it's almost like a crossover record, you know? Yeah, because they, they were... To where, to where, I mean, they, that was that, was that Lollapalooza year, I think, within a, within a couple of years of that. Mm-hmm. And, or it, it, I think that was part of what in, instituted because I think actually Lollapalooza was '91, so this is '88. It 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 kind of helped her into that that mix, and yeah, that, that that was a huge thing for her, or or for for the entire band actually. So yeah, "Last Beat of My Heart" was an incredible song. I think Kenny Jar. I think I may have that twelve twelve inch. <laughs> such a great, it's such a good, such a good track. It's just got a really cool, yeah. like it's, it's got that. I don't know, like it's really kind of epic, and but it's also got a dark kind of like a, a uh, word I'm looking for. 
wrong note but played in the right way i'm having trouble thinking about right it just it just is very kind of interesting and, and discordant and and i i just i dig it i think it's a really good album and yes and i know earlier, I earlier you were talking about two different albums that i think we should cover you talked about my bloody valentine isn't anything you think you had to say a story about that so i wanted to have you share your thoughts on that one first then we can go into rem's yeah game. It was it was it was one of those records that that I bought, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this this is going to be awesome." And I listened to it and was like, "Well, this isn't anything." <laughs> and I put it away, and I put it away, and 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 did not pick it up until like six or seven months later, and. Because, you know, I, I it was another one of those that I read it or saw this saw the video on um one twenty, you know, which which was a, a, a tremendous way to, to hear new music because, you know, yeah, it's not like I was gonna get it on the radio or anything like that, you know? Absolutely. And so you know, so I I picked it up and was like not really thrilled with it and set it aside and dealt with it later and decided a few months afterwards, hey, what do I need to get rid of so I can get new stuff? And so I thought, oh, well, let me listen to this one. And then I thought, Oh wait, this was a huge mistake. I should have I should have been listening to this record for the last seven months. It was such a I mean I mean Kevin Shields probably wouldn't show up huge until later on the next album, but there is no reason why I should have tried to even get rid of this record. It was just boring. And it was more so on the next album. But it was really with this album that I was like, I I need I need I need to keep all this. I need to keep all their material. <laughs> These guys gotta go somewhere. <laughs> and, and I nearly got rid of it. I nearly got rid of I nearly got rid of this album. And then ignored, you know, and Loveless was almost the same way to where I was like, oh, well, I'm going to put it aside. Well, that's, that's one of those. And then I, it was just stupid. Yeah, but they're, they're one of those bands, though, that it, it you can't, for me, when I first heard My Bloody Valentine, it was for this, it was on Loveless, and I heard that song in Doctor Mitts, and I just, I did not like it at all when I first heard it. It was so abrasive, and right, and, and I couldn't, right. and I couldn't, and, and then finally my friend's like, no, you gotta give it a shot, you gotta listen to it more and more, and so it wasn't until like a year later, I actually listened to it again, I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it, and I became a big fan of them, but they definitely, because their sound was so intense, and so dissonant, which is the word I was trying to think of earlier for Susie and the Banshees, but so dissonant, right. And and so berry that it you know it just takes your brain a while to wrap around it. At least it did for me because it wasn't so you know the layers are so dense that you have to really kind of give it. It's almost like a science experiment to, <laughs> to listen to my bloody Valentine 
once you get into it, you love it. And uh, I don't know. Did you? Ever, yeah. Did, did I? I wrote about meeting Kevin Shields a while back. Did you read that thing I wrote a while back? It's been a while. Um, but I, I, I saw I saw him play with Primal Scream on the. Uh, I think it was uh, on the on the uh, what's the album? Um, Exterminator tour, like in two thousand. Oh, did you? And they were. It was awesome. And so he's playing, and you know, I was deaf after the show because he's playing so loud. And you know, that was in the years where people were saying they ever gonna make a new album, they're ever gonna make a new album, and you know, they they bankrupted Creation Records trying to make this new album never happen. So afterwards, uh, I was backstage hanging out with them, and and uh, Bobby Gillespie was kind of nice, but they're all you tell they're all were definitely you know have been imbibing on some substance or another. And I'm all awesome. I'm all nervous, so I'm trying to think of something to say. <laughs> I, sh- I should have just left, but I I turned to Kevin Shields and I said, "Really good." I, I, said, I said, "So how's that? How's that new My Bloody Valentine album coming?" Right. <laughs> and his response was, "I'm fucking working on it, okay." Like, okay, sorry, I I am an ass. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I had to ask. But yeah, it was. Oh my it, god! It was it was funny. awkward. It was awkward. My friend was laughing so hard. I'm like, I'm like I had to ask and the guy. He looked. He looked like like I had just ruined his whole night. So sorry, Kevin Shields. But 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 I'm glad they're so put a new album pretty soon. An album this year, I think. So at least they're at least they're back now. But at the time, he did not want to hear about it. So that's the story. I right? I, 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 I recall. <laughs> That's great. And hilarious. Yeah, he was he was not pleased with me. But, that is the best. He was not pleased with me. He was not. But, Evan Shields. <laughs> because he's pleased with so many of us. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things that like as soon as you as soon as you open as soon as you open your mouth, you know that you're like, Oh I, I, I it's too it's too late to stop now. I can't stop and, 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 and there it is. It was it was really embarrassing, but yeah, it's funny. It's funny in retrospect, but <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite story. Oh uh, yeah, it's it was it was it was really because <laughs> he the, the look on his face was it was priceless. I mean, he was so mad. He was so mad, and then he got just kind of dejected. Now, and I was and I was standing there just so... talking. Yeah, uh, but, but, but what was really funny is, is is like is like I looked over and you know Manny from the Stone Roses was playing bass for them right there and he looked he was like trying not to right? laugh like he had this big grin on his face because <laughs> this must happen all the time you know so <laughs> I just was okay, the it, I like that even better now yeah I just Manny was over there kind of like yeah try not to try not to try not to crack yeah. up <laughs> you asked the wrong question man oh it was great. That's so funny. Well, that's great. But I get oh, that's a you win story of the night. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess if I love that. We're gonna speak about about supermental musicians. I guess I should I should go ahead and give a shout out to uh, the the self titled debut of Danzig came out in nineteen eighty eight. And you do that. That's all you. That's all me. And that came out in 1988. Rick Rubin produced it. 
I've actually been trying to get uh, John Christ to do an interview uh, to talk about his album. He's not returning my phone calls. I don't know if he doesn't want to talk about it. Oh, he's no. But I'm... I'm, do, I'm I need to, do I need to call him? Yeah. <laughs> give, give, so I'm, I'm still trying. He'll answer my phone call. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him your number. He, he, uh, yeah. If he doesn't, if he doesn't answer, yeah. I may try Erie Vaughn. So you might get get him to say something. But All right. or maybe they have a gag order and he hasn't let them talk. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I think Danzig is really it's an interesting album because it's you know Rick Rubin produced it. He also produced the Cult Electric, and there's a lot of parallels between both those albums. There's very similar. Yeah, I think. totally. Yeah, they both have that kind of Angus. Uh, or yeah, Angus Young or Malcolm Young, a uh, good guitar sound. They're very truncated, you know, kind of bright distortion. Uh, they've also got two vocalists. I think Ian Asbury and Glenn Danzig are very similar. You know, they both have that kind of Jim Morrison thing going on. Um, I think Danzig a little more bluesy, and uh, Ian's probably a little bit more technically a better singer, um, just overall. But I think that they they're very they're very comparable to that. Danzig first time had Mother on it, and that was not a hit until like 1993 or something crazy like that, when it was like re-released on that live single. And I don't know why it took right. him, took him that long, but I, part of it that's weird, isn't it? It was really weird, but part of it, I think was because of MTV because I remember I think actually we may have been watching it the same night. I I seem to think I remember seeing and watching this with like you guys in Judson, whatever, watching uh, Headbangers Ball. But I remember they played that. <laughs> <laughs> that mother video, right? Where like they have the santerine and, the, and they kill the they kill the chicken and put the blood over the woman, you know. And MTV only only played that one time, and I and I saw it. I think we all, I, I, at least in my mind, I, that we all watched it together. But but I know that they that they banned it afterwards. And I think a lot of the issues with Danzig was you know he was deemed as satanic and evil and all that kind of stuff. But it just made oh yeah made him more irresistible yeah. for for metalheads because there's such a it's such a great blues rock album. I mean, like Twisted Cane, the riffs are so much fun. I mean, they're all the pinch oh, harmonics. Twisted Cane, yeah. You know, She Rides, uh, Am I Evil, Not of This World. It's just a really solid album. It's, and I think that um, Danzig, as much as he can be a, a, a caricature, he was cool when I talked to him. It was, it was a really weird conversation hearing Danzig laugh a whole lot was something I was not expecting. It was really, really fun to talk to, but you know, uh, reputation. Otherwise, that's a really, I think, a really strong rock album, and definitely a, lot, a really fun one. Yeah, you know, he was a guy in my fun 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 fest that needed French onion soup. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. that I that, mean, that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bag on the guy. Uh, sort of, but not, not totally. I, I mean, I, I still think it's funny. What? Yeah, you what, know the, the 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 whole the whole context. I don't know exactly what happened in 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 the whole scene between them and promoters and what have you, but you know it's it still seems kind of funny. He's definitely, you know French onion soup, you know, and I need heaters and <laughs> he's a, you know whatever you know. He's definitely, you know, I'm not gonna call, you know, I'm not gonna call him out or anything like that. But you know, <laughs> hey, you know what? Standing, standing. <laughs> and another, I'm not gonna talk about this about a great deal, but another album I want to mention, a good hard hard rock album from that year, was the L.A. Guns' debut album. Was actually another fun oh rock album from that yeah, year. Yeah, that's that that is certainly on your radar. 
and that was, you know, I mean, Guns N' Roses, you know, before Guns N' Roses became Guns oh, yeah. N' Roses, there was Tracy Guns, who was a guitarist for a brief while. Then he went and broke off and did L.A. Guns, which are, they're not nearly as good as Guns N' Roses. They don't have the same kind of uh, transcendent thing that Guns N' Roses were able to do with the different types of styles and all that. But as far as just a good hard rock oh, yeah. band with a little bit of a kind of biker attitude and all that, it was a fun album. I, Sex Actions, it's a great riff. No Mercy's a great song. There's a lot of good. And actually, I get I saw them last year. My, my wife and I went and saw them at this. Oh, did you? Yeah, we saw them at this dump club. They, I, I found out they were playing the night before. And I was like, you know what? Let's go see LA Guns. Let's, this is a night to see LA Guns. And we saw this club that looked like it was. I feel like I've been transported back to 1988. It was just a dump. It looked like a fire trap. I thought if, if anything gets catch fire, we're going to all die in this thing. And it was just, you know, like 10 people. It was not a big crowd or anything like that, but they sounded really good i was actually really did you did you take the wife i did uh, yeah she she had she, oh yeah she had heard a couple songs she was in? yeah because i made her a couple of mixed uh cds a while back like i put um never okay. never That's enough good. and stuff so yeah it was actually it was a that was a fun show tracy guns is a really good guitar player so that was that was a fun rock album now i i know well another thing i see on your list you that we should probably talk about um, since I believe today was Prince's birthday, if I'm correct. Love Sexy was on your list, and I think given... Love oh, Sexy, Love Sexy. That's what we should probably discuss. Oh, yeah, because I, 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 I'll be honest, I liked Love Sexy. I really liked Love Sexy. That was, that was the first tour that I saw from him. Um, and the Fall of '88 with. Uh, do you remember Rachel? Rachel Graves. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Facebook friends with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're Facebook friends with her. Uh, yeah, we we went to see, and actually, she sent me a a picture a day or two ago. Hey, look! I found my love sixty ticket. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've had that forever. I I got it. That's awesome. But that's really nice that she held on, you know, she held on to it, you know. It was such a, like a strange tour because, you know, it's it, it's way off of the entire Purple Rain phenomenon that happened. And so you're, you're working with a different type of prince at that point. You know, everything is, there's so much so much stuff that he has at this point that he's trying to shove it all into a show. You know, there was still um, uh, part of the sign of the times and things like that that he was pouring into there. But as far as Love Sexy goes, man, I love that record. I loved whenever I try to put the album onto um, my actual like iTunes it came up there as one solid track and that's it <laughs> because everything came up as one solid track I mean it was like 43 minutes of one track <laughs> and I'm like, man, are you freaking kidding me? But, you know, 
Good for you, guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the only yeah, it, yeah, it's hard to differentiate it, but whatever. Yeah, I think the only really problem that Love Sexy has it it just had to come on the the tail of Sign of the Times, which is I think probably his best record. So it just I think it's just one of those things that it was a good album, but it just you know Sign of the Times was such a massive you know commercial and critical success, which is hard for anything to kind of be is is that high profile i think which i think is probably the main reason that love sexy maybe didn't get the same attention that that maybe it deserved yeah i agree i mean it's it's still solid it's still solid stuff but it's not i mean yeah we get it it's it's not it's not purple rain but you know it if you if you ignore the 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 the, the couple records after that Man, you're you're not you're not paying attention. You're just not paying attention. Speaking of, of Purple Rain, uh, you know, and speaking of Peter Murphy, I I, I should have segued this earlier, but I'm just not thinking about it. <laughs> but I'm get, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. But Love Hysteria came out in 1988, and that was his second solo album. As the first one, I thought it was his first one. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, the second. I didn't discover his first album until years later, but that was, that was a very uh, fun pop, almost poppy album that, that saw him kind of mix in like the, his goth stuff, but, but he was definitely, he definitely was trying to get more, yeah more mainstream on that, on that, but it was still really good. I thought some really good songs on there. Like it certainly was the one that, 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 that receives a whole bunch of reception from uh, from the old 120, mm-hmm. you know, our being absolutely bored to death that they were always playing all night long. Right. All night long. They played all night long, all night long. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, there was a point where it was like, come on, guys, you know, I mean, you're not you're you're not gonna play the songs that I want to hear, I know, but still. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah, that was there. There was a, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, singles within a sense that were very far away from happening. So yeah, solid record, love it. Would would totally buy into it and promote it. It's such a good record. Because he also had Indigo. It's just a very you know that's another kind of big yeah. single off it. But also I think my favorite song it's the last is my last two weeks, which is the last track on there, which is just a great you know yeah yeah great one of those great closing tracks that you know it's just perfect for to end on an album. Yeah. Also really really solid. Absolutely. I was always a fan of. Uh, what was the one? Uh, oh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Pythagoras. Oh yes, so- Socrates. Uh, Socrates the Python. Socrates by the Python. Yes, yes. that was that was a huge. I love that song. That was my favorite. That was very Bauhaus. That was probably the most most Bauhaus thing on the yes. album. Very goth. It was very, it was very strong Bauhaus scene on that record. <laughs> which is which is why I liked it, I think. 
Yes, I think so. So. Now you. I think so. Now you also had on here the Pogues. Did you want to talk about that one? You know, it, such such a great record, but you have to you have to actually like pull pull out the uh, Fairy Tale of New York because it seems to be a a um, alternative to the Christmas season that that people have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the. <laughs> I, you know, I hear in, in, in some settings, in, in, you know, which, which is strange because I've heard it here and there. I don't think I've heard it a whole bunch. I mean, there's the whole, you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, lousy faggot. (laughs) I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they buy into that. That, that verbiage anymore and and you know I get that that's great but I you know it it really is it really is I mean all together if you take out even just that one single song uh the the fairy tale of New York there's there there's a lot of great shindigs I mean, you know I guess you might say a lot of great uh, just dance tunes within the sense, and I love that record so much. It was, it was just, it's it's Irish, which is part of my heritage. Mine too. But, but um, without being totally stupid, there's. There's some complexity going on lyrically and and musically it, it, it stays true. And uh I I really I really appreciate it. And it's it it's such a good record and I have so much fun with it and I will always, always, always listen to that record. No no doubt. Speaking of fun records, I think uh I've got to give a a nod to they might be giants Lincoln, which is another oh yeah <laughs> n- another another big indie album of nineteen eighty eight which um, that is a, that is a very indie album. I think what I liked about those guys, which what I later learned to like about Ween, was like okay these guys aren't just musicians, but they're also got a really weird sense of humor, which I have. Like it was just it was a very right. it's almost like it's almost like cartoon music in some ways. You know they got a very uh, just uh you know uh purple toupee sounds you know is so out there anna ing it's funny <laughs> you know it's so out there and it, it was really weird as I was, I was actually watching uh mickey mouse clubhouse with ruby she's obsessed with Minnie mouse and all that and we were watching it right and they've, and they've got this song i think called hot dog that everything yeah. it's, it's, it's and i and i was watching the credits and they might they might be giants wrote that song I had they, no, they might be giants. That's all of them. I had no idea. So yeah, they did the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song, which is really weird. So that kind of my daughter watched the same show, and then I was like, there, there were these guys that were singing "Hot Dog." Yeah, that's like, that's them. Hey, I think I know that voice, and then 
them. So maybe, maybe. D, D, they might be giants. That's funny. That's really weird. And then, of course, another another really fun uh, pop album of that year was The Innocence by Erasure, which I thought was a really solid. Oh, yeah. Really great synth pop album. And I, you oh, know, I, yeah. I mean, I think A Little Respect is one of the best singles of the 80s by far. It's just such a great, oh, such a great yeah. song. That's I mean, such a great song. Andy Bill singing ass off on that song. But, you know, I think Erasure were able to do something that, that you know, a lot of people couldn't, which was like very poppy stuff, but still have, you know, this kind of a uh, little bit of an edge to it. And there's definitely, you know, some so, so social conscious lyrics for sure. You know, obviously, you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, not being su- subtle about, having a, a gay singer and not being subtle about, you know, lyrics that hit, hit on that, but it was, but it wasn't alienating. I don't think the people who, you know, may have been unsure or didn't know what was going on with, with, with those guys. But I think it was just a really strong album. Uh, Ship of Fools is a great song. Um, yeah. But, you know what? I don't think the pressure was on Erasure as much as it was on like a Depeche Mode or or any of those other, you know, supposed synth bands that would would, would happen. I, I I think I think they they felt very whoever it was that signed them, Sire I think was a record label, but they felt very comfortable with them, and so they they could be who they were, you know, and and and, and musically, where. If you were Depeche Mode, then you were Depeche Mode. Or if you were like Depeche Mode, you were like Depeche Mode. You know, Erasure was not like that. Vince Clark's other project, other, you know, aside from Depeche Mode. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, freedom that he felt with that. And, And that shows, I think, melodically, I think songwriting, Depeche Mode could not have done Chain of Fools. They could not no. have done A Little Respect. There was no way that they could have done those records. None whatsoever. Vince Clark found the right guy with Andy Bell and created that that sound. And it's 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 just as everlasting as the freshman, if you ask me. It's I think it's so weird too that you listen to like Yaz or Erasure and there's both two duos that have a singer that you can't that are sound somewhat androgynous. They both have similar voices and yet no one else sounds like those two singers. It's very strange to me. Like I've never heard anybody sounds like those two singers, yet they both sound have a similar tonality to their voice, which I always thought was kind of interesting. Obviously, Vince Clark had a very specific sound in his mind when he found those two singers. So uh, they really, Alison Moyer and, and uh, Andy Bell are two, are two of the greats for sure. Okay, so which album do you want to tackle next? I'll, I'll uh, point out the uh, Arnie and Green for um, the reason that there was that album came out the day of the election day, 1988. And I went and voted democratically 
was not successful. <laughs> but um, anyway, that that record coming out that day that was that was that was a statement. I think within the, I mean, not that you didn't know that within the band they were progressives. They were they leaned within a democratic sense, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I remember that day I, I voted and then I went and bought that money. And there you go. Lots of good stuff. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, I like, I, I still like the album. I, I'm still a fan of the album. You know, no. just like a lot of, well, I mean, REM is the American YouTube. Yeah, that is true. There's, there's, there's no, there's hardly anything that I don't like from REM. There's, I, I, I it'd be harder for me to tell you what I don't like from Green. Green, I like Green. I like Green front to back. You know, from the, uh, you know, what I I think it was Pop Song, Pop Song 89 or 88 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of it. I mean, there's nothing about the record that I don't, don't appreciate. It would not. I would still tell my my kid to listen. Go listen to that record. Nothing wrong with that album at all. It was a very. It also felt like it was like a transitional record too, because you've got um, uh, Document, which was kind of their first big album, and then you know, um, was it Out of Time that came after that? Was that the, the one? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so so and green. At, and yeah, and Out of Time was the. The big losing my religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably their, their biggest album. But Green is a, is a good transitional album, I think. Not, yeah, not just for fans, but also for it's the still, band. Yeah, it still kept it still kept the uh, the document sound per se, without having the you know overbearing singles. Well, my friend, I think we have covered 1988. I think we've done it. Yeah. I think it's we... been a solid year. That's a, it really was a, a solid year. You know, because, you know, 87 was kind of, to me, the one of the big years where you kind of got, you saw the tide that was turning for alternative music. But 88 was really where you saw kind of the alternative indie thing really kind of uh, dominate a lot of, of, of the music scene. Uh, it was, it wasn't. I agree wasn't out selling a lot of those bands that were, you know, that were on pop radio or the hair metal stuff, but it was kind of right underneath the surface. It was just kind of right underneath the surface. You know, they, they were traveling the same circles. You you knew that Guns N' Roses and Jane's Addiction bumped, you know, uh, bumped, bumped at each other on Sunset Boulevard. They may not have liked each other, but they knew each other. So there was definitely kind of these two different things. Oh, went. yeah. It was definitely, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and then by 89, oh, yeah. which we will get to at some point, uh, things were even 
<laughs> got even got yeah disintegration. So that'll be for another day. But I think we yes, absolutely. I think we've done it, and uh, awesome. yeah, this is a lot of fun, dude. I've enjoyed catching up with you. I'm, hey, I mean it's Facebook. Thank you so much, Michael. It's it, it it's been it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I feel I feel really honored to be part of your uh, podcast session. Oh, absolutely. Got a lot of great people. A lot of great people on this. So thank you very much for including me. Yeah, so we'll get together soon and talk about the best in 1993. And, of course, we've got some other things in the irons and the fire, too. Awesome. So it'll be a lot of fun. So, yeah, thanks again, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Michael. You know, thanks to Chris for talking to me today. It's a lot of fun catching up with him and talking about some of our favorite albums from 1988. As uh, we discussed, we're going to be doing 1993 in the near future. We'll be discussing our favorite albums from that year. We've got some other ideas for some other podcast episodes as well. It should be a lot of fun. I've got several different ideas in my brain that I want to discuss with him so we'll do that so thanks for tuning in until then take care and uh, as promised for you spotify premium members you get to listen to several select tracks off of some of our favorites of 1988 so enjoy that take care and talk to you soon